for a good three years, we went on a different track of Inside Out. We had joy paired with fear. I'm joy. That's fear. And we had found a lot of fun stuff. We had, you know, the dream production. We had the subconscious. We had all these cool set pieces. And then we developed the film, and you're writing it up to the point where Joy now goes back and does something she could have never done at the beginning of the film, thanks to fear. And it is what? I had no idea. And this was right at about the time when we had to go into production, so the pressure was on. And I was sitting the weekend before going, we don't have a movie. What are we going to do? I don't have a movie here. Because I don't know what Joy does at the end of the movie. I mean, we have a concept, we have characters and stuff, but what is the point? What's the statement of the film? I remember walking around in the woods and just thinking, I'm going to either quit or get fired. And I didn't know. And so I, I literally just started thinking, well, let's see, what would happen if I quit? I'd probably have to sell the house. I might have to move. And I really just let myself kind of go there. And, and then I started to think, well, what would I really miss? Well, I'd miss my friends. A lot of my closest friends are actually folks that I work with. And I realized, wait a minute, these are people that I've had great, happy times with, but I've also been pissed off at and sad with. We've suffered loss together. We've, you know, gone through all these range of emotions, and it suddenly kind of struck me in the middle of the forest. Wait a minute, that's exactly what we're dealing with subject matter-wise. That's the key to this whole film. That walk changed not only the ending, but the larger message of Inside Out. And by pairing joy with sadness and not fear, it changed our cultural conversation on emotions. On each episode of our podcast, we have a happiness guinea pig try out a practice designed to boost happiness, resilience, kindness, or connection. And then we explore the science behind it. Joining us today as our happiness guinea pig is Pete Doctor, Academy Award-winning director of Monsters, Inc., Up!, and more recently, Inside Out. And you know, one of the things that we learned in the science of happiness is to take the right moment to express gratitude. And one of the great privileges of my career is to get a chance to work on your film Inside Out, Pete. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. It was a great pleasure working with you. That's how we met first, and uh, I I learned a ton from you and continue to employ it now even well past the movie. So that's... That's really cool. Yeah, it was it was one of the most interesting and surprising conversations that I ever got to be part of. You really dove into the science that's so important to the science of happiness. Well, I think for all the films, going back all the way to Toy Story, uh, we've done a ton of research because you don't want to just put something that you made up up on the screen. You want people to recognize it as real and truthful. The first question you asked me is, is you said, you know, well, how many emotions are there? And, yeah, uh, and I was right. like, well, Pete, you know, I've got a bunch of data, and here's some graphs, and we think there are 21, 22 emotions. And you didn't put 22 emotions no. in the film. <laughs> <laughs> we had a hard time keeping track of just the five that we chose. The characters experience other emotions than the ones that they represent. We looked at it more like that's their job, that's their vested interest. And this is where you guys really helped us uh, from a scientific standpoint, because then you suddenly have an idea of, oh, Anger is not just something to be avoided. It's a response to feeling slighted, to feeling like somebody's taken advantage of you. Now suddenly I know how to write for that character. How did sadness become so important in the film? Well, the film kind of originated from thinking this would be cool to do emotions. And then really watching my daughter, who is about 
11 at the time, maybe 12. She had gone through a huge change, as I did as a kid. Yeah. And a lot of people do from that happy, bubbly kid that'll talk to anybody and anything is possible and she would do anything. And suddenly she was starting, we would talk to her teachers and they're like, Ellie is a quiet child, doesn't she? And we're like, what? Who, who are they talking about? <laughs> and there is a real sadness to me about that loss of childhood, those that innocence that you have. And obviously there's a great wealth of positive things to be gained by growing up, but there's a sadness. It's an undeniable thing when things change and you lose something. So that seemed really valuable and relevant. And then, of course, as we talk to you, you realize, boy, there's a lot of people trying to avoid sadness yeah. as best they can. They're drinking, they're taking drugs, they're doing anything to not feel that emotion because it seems so negative. And then realizing the power of sadness and the positive aspects of it. Well, I know a lot of people changed how they thought about that particular part of our emotional lives. So I want to ask you, so you, for your greater good in action practice, yes. as our guinea pig, ah, yeah. <laughs> you chose the savoring walk. When people ask me, what are the three or four essential things to do to be healthy and happy? Mm-hmm. The first thing I say is get outside and walk, right? Yeah. And we yeah. know you get out in the trees for a couple of minutes and you just, you don't feel so self-focused. Mm-hmm. You, like the stuff that bothered you sort of drifts away. So what happened on your savoring walk? Well, that's definitely the experience I had. I, I've, generally, I come in with a lot of anxiety and <laughs> uh, things that I'm chewing on and, and somehow, again, just being out and not so self-focused. I think, for one, you're kind of aware of all these other things. It kind of takes you out of your own head. And by the end of it, it's definitely a, a feels like I'm able to focus in on the things that are more important and leave a lot of the anxiety for me. You were uh, gracious enough to record some of your walks. So the first one we're going to listen to, and I'm just curious to kind of get your reflections on it, Pete, as you're walking home from work. It's been a kind of a stressful day. A lot of changes going on. And I smell spaghetti. That's kind of good. There's sounds everywhere when you're you think of just traffic but just heard someone whistle sound of leaves it's kind of comforting that sound actually a lot of smells beyond the spaghetti now i'm getting uh, candles maybe a little bit of some sort of like lavender there's a fork Somebody dropped a fork. Where did that come from? The more I start to notice, I kind of slow down and want to investigate things. I've always liked walking because it's it's kind of therapeutic. I feel like it relaxes me. Instead of focusing on outward stuff, I usually go inward. But I find then I can get home and realize I didn't actually see anything. I was just in my head the whole time. I like how I was saying <laughs> I'm really relaxed as there's like a traffic, a cop or something in the background. And, the ambulance uh, is yeah, zooming exactly. by. <laughs> and I also like that you can't escape the cartoonist in you. You see the fork. And so oh, I yeah. just see these scenes. Well, it engages your curiosity, I think, right? Yeah. As you see stuff, as you become aware of it, you're like, wait a minute, why would there be a fork? What happened to lead up to that? <laughs> that somebody left a fork in the middle of the... A fork in the road. Ha, ha. See, there's a cartoon there. <laughs> Why do you think that is? What 
opens up your curiosity about walking. I think that's what walks give you is this constant input of things and ideas and either you're conscious of it or not but you're you're constantly like feeding your brain is if you're sitting in a room you're just looking at one thing something about the multi different feedbacks uh, that you're getting smells and touch and all these things i think really uh wake you up yeah and it's interesting how scents are important. You smell candles yeah. and spaghetti. And and that's, again, one of those, like, subconscious type of things, yeah. generally. Because yep. it wasn't until I started becoming aware of it that uh, I was conscious of it. But usually you just take it in unless it's super offensive, like a skunk or something. The other thing that's really interesting about what you did, and I really appreciate it, and it's important when we think about the benefits of being outside is... You know, the first one's really kind of an urban walk. Yeah. And it's important to remember how much beauty there is in urban walks. And yeah. then you went to a park. So right. let's listen in on your, okay. your second tape. As I'm starting out here, I have tons of things that are going over and over my head, which is I often take walks just to think about stuff because it's free of distraction and something about the physical exercise helps me focus. But I think the point of this exercise is not to go inward, but to pay attention to stuff out there. So I'm going to try to do that. I mean, the first thing I notice when I'm kind of tuning in is just smells, which I usually ignore. Um, but it's a lot of kind of musty, kind of slightly stagnant, earthy smell. Clouds are really intense a lot of interesting streaky shapes um definitely not cumulus they're the opposite ones the sort of streaky which i forgot the names of and even as i say i'm tempted to look it up on google but i'm not gonna it is definitely a constant struggle to keep my mind focused on outside stuff quickly slip interior Okay, it's been about 20 minutes of walking now. I guess I feel lighter, more clear-headed now than I did when I started. Um, my head is not buzzing with so many worries and thoughts. We don't know scientifically yet what is going on in the brain, but clearly when you think about how long we evolved in our relationship to flora and fauna and scents and how important it is to finding food. It's probably activating these old parts of the brain involved in beauty and curiosity. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about how long we've been around on the planet and how short we've been encapsulated in little boxes, yeah, you know, it makes sense that that's kind of where we actually belong out there. But uh, it's a time where, you know, like... I don't know, I, I'm curious about this. There's a lot of drive towards happiness. Yeah. But how much are we really meant to have yeah. <laughs> on a daily basis? And is happiness maybe even the right word? Because happiness implies like a state of above average, like a euphoria. Yep. And I think what ultimately maybe we're looking for is more a sense of contentment. Yeah. Is that right? I don't know. I, I'm just thinking out loud here. I know for me working on the films, there's this sense that you're working towards something like okay, I can put up with all this misery and stress <laughs> because once yeah. the film comes out, yeah. then I'm going to be happy. Were you happy with it? I remember no. tracking you. And no. you, Even after you won the Academy Award, I think you No, were... I still look at it and go like, oh, we could have done that better. Yeah. And or I don't care about it anymore. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. So to me, it's one of the great lessons of creative work is that it's not about 
finishing. It's about the process of doing it. You know, that's the real joy. And if you're miserable, enjoy the misery. <laughs> yeah. I think you're doing pretty good work, Pete. Oh, so. well, thank you. Well, you know, Pete, I wanted to thank you for our, being our guinea pig and for the films you make and also for being a great friend. Thank you for the same. If you want to try the savoring walk and other practices like it, you'll find simple instructions on our website, Greater Good in Action. That's ggia.berkeley.edu. Studies show that by taking time to stop and smell the roses, or what researchers call savoring, it can enhance happiness and boost feelings of appreciation and gratitude. Just by paying attention to the sights, smells, and sounds that we often neglect, their delights will often stay with us long after they pass. To learn more about how savoring enhances our health and happiness, we have Craig Anderson here. Craig is a postdoctoral scholar at UC San Francisco and is doing some fascinating research on the benefits of getting outdoors for veterans and other under-resourced communities. And so, Craig, it's, it's great to have you to the show. Thanks for being here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know you are interested in a variety of different emotional states that arise when we get outdoors and enjoy the woods. But in particular, we're interested in savoring. So how do you define savoring? I define savoring as paying attention to and really appreciating positive things that happens to you in your life. Sort of being absorbed in or taking in what's good around you or what's beautiful. That's right. Exactly right. If a friend really wanted to go do a savoring walk, what would it look like? So if you're out on a savoring walk, just kind of focus on the things around you. Even if it's a walk that you've taken a hundred times, notice the way that the light is coming through the trees or how the flowers have just started blooming. Just opening your attention, being present in the moment is the right way to do a savoring walk. Nice. So get off those smartphones and it's almost like a mindful exercise, which is just see what you smell, see what you see, attend to more oh, carefully to things. I, I think... The smell is a huge part. It's one of the senses that we tend to neglect, and it's been really important for us as a species. So I think things that you see, things that you smell, things that you hear, kind of using all those senses that we have been given to really be grounded in that moment. What's one of your favorite studies in the scientific literature on savoring? Well, one of my favorite studies... The main finding kind of goes as you would expect. The healthier people are, the happier they are. But two of the findings that really struck me was that people who were really high in savoring, even if they had poor health, so they had a lot of pain, physical things that prevented them from doing the things they wanted to do, they were as happy as people who were perfectly healthy. Wow. And the second finding that really struck me was that for the people who are totally healthy, if they didn't also savor the good things in life, they were leaving happiness on the table. Those are really striking findings, Craig. You know, it tells us that, you know, even if you're facing difficult circumstances, if you just take a moment to savor what's good, right? It might be a, a child or conversation with a friend. You can transcend those problems. And then it also tells you it's an interesting reminder. Like if life's going really well, but you're not savoring it, you, you lose, as you said, some happiness. And they also got at ways that people can sort of sabotage their savoring. So one way people do that, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, is you really get wrapped up in ways that you feel like this situation could be even better. And we know that's bad for your happiness. Yeah, it's almost like maximizing any experience that you're having 
you know, and you try to seek out more pleasure and want it to be even better, it tends to diminish our, our happiness. That's right. When you think about just this ability to savor and to, to find the, the good and the, the, the pleasurable, what are some examples that come to mind when you think about this literature of how we can do this? Well, I think being in the moment is the core of savoring. It can apply to all sorts of different good things that happen. Maybe savoring the pride of a good job that you did or a goal that you accomplished. Savoring a fine wine at the end of a long day. That sounds good. So it's a flexible strategy. You can use it in all sorts of situations. Contentment is a really important emotion when people are out in nature. Mm. And in a paper that I did with colleagues, we really looked at this idea of contentment, and it's a rich and it's an old idea. That How would spans. you define it? Well, we looked at different traditions across history, and really the common thread is this idea of perceived completeness. Hmm. So the moment that you're in, the experience that you're having is everything that you need, and you're not wanting anything more. You know, one of the things that Science of Happiness tells us is just to be training the mind to think about things you're grateful for, think about some good thing that's going to happen in the future. And this is a kind of an underappreciated one is just to take in the moment and the sensory delights that are there. So, Craig, you've been doing this really risky and innovative work, really devoted to getting people outdoors to enjoy the benefits of a savoring walk or even more intense experiences in nature. Tell us about it. In one of the studies we did, we looked at military veterans and also youth from underserved communities. And these are both populations that we know are at risk for things like PTSD. One thing that surprised me that may not surprise some educators out there was that the, the kids actually had higher levels of PTSD than the veterans. <sighs> That's uh, upsetting. It is. So we took them out whitewater rafting, which <laughs> for many of these people, especially the kids, it's a once-in-a-lifetime activity, and we wanted to see if going out on the river would impact their health and well-being. So what did you do in this study? We measured well-being before and after the, the rafting trip, and then we looked at which emotions that people felt after a day of whitewater rafting predicted improvements in well-being. And awe was a powerful predictor, yeah. but also contentment. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one way, as you've said earlier, you're sort of capturing this sense of savoring, right? That they're feeling calmer and sort of completed by the experience. Did it affect stress and PTSD? Absolutely. And the magnitude of that effect also surprised me. So mm -hmm. we found almost a 30% decrease in the PTSD symptoms in veterans and also the youth. Stress went down happiness went up. People felt like they were more connected to the people around them. I'm really curious how you think about, you know, when you survey this literature on just the benefits of walking outdoors and, you know, being in, in beautiful settings, what is the kind of the broad array of benefits of savoring walks? Well, whereas a whitewater rafting trip might not happen very often for people, what I like about the savoring walks is people can incorporate it into their daily routines. You can think of it of taking your vitamins. Go out for a walk, take it in. We know that it'll impact you physiologically. How so? We know that if you're less stressed, your immune function will work less hard. Your blood pressure will decrease. Just overall, your body does less of that unnecessary work that we know that comes with being stressed out and worrying about things. 
Does it have effects on the mind as well? We know that people who go out and savor things, that they're happier. And I think it also teaches you to be more mindful. So coming back from a savoring walk, and we know that positive emotions kind of have these upward spirals. Maybe you appreciate your partner a little bit more. You appreciate the food that you have later that day. I think it's a great way to start your day. So how do you practice savoring in your own life? Do you take savoring walks, and how does it work into your life? Well, I try to get outdoors every day. We actually just got a new dog, (laughs) and I find that helps too. I mean, dogs, very much unlike people, they're not stressed out about jobs or, (laughs) you know, their retirement plan. So they live in the moment, and I find that that kind of helps me when we're out on walks. I mean, they're looking at new things and sniffing new <laughs> smells. So I find there there can be wisdom in our furry friends. Excellent. You know, there's a, there's this whole story about the coevolution of dogs and humans that dogs started to migrate into small hunter-gatherer societies and sort of change and become more social and, you know, friendly. And hence, they're, you know, humans' greatest friend. And maybe one of the things that they learned how to do is to take us out on savoring walks. That's right. That's right. I love that. Well, Craig, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for the Science of Happiness. On our next episode, we'll be joined by Krista Tippett, host of On Being, the award-winning radio show and podcast. Find out what happens when she tries to practice mindfulness meditation. Our podcast is a co-production of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and PRI, produced in coordination with Jenny Cataldo and Ben Manila from BMP Audio. Our producer is Jane Bach. Executive producer is Jason Marsh. Our original music is by David Michelle Ruddy. Funding for the Science of Happiness comes from donors to the Greater Good Science Center and from PRI donors, including Javier Escobedo and Bego Lozano. You can learn more about the Science of Happiness and find related articles, videos, quizzes, all kinds of stuff on our website, greatergood.berkeley.edu. And shoot us an email. Tell us what you think about what you heard. Send it to greater at berkeley.edu.